Okay, just a little bit of review at the beginning here. So the goal that we have during Lent and Easter <clears throat> is very simple, which is to proclaim the story, to proclaim the whole story of what God has done in the person of Jesus. I mentioned this at, on Ash Wednesday. Uh, for, for most of us, our understanding of Christianity begins and ends with Jesus. And of course, he is the one who makes the story what it is. Without him, there is no story. Without him, there is no Christianity, of course. But to understand that Jesus comes into the world as part of a much bigger story than only his life. So to understand that, that if, if we only know Jesus, if, if the story begins and ends with him, then it's not that powerful, ultimately. We end up hearing about how he saved us from sins, and we just sort of think, I, I'm not that bad a person. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand what I need to be saved from. So to understand, and this is the goal, is, is to proclaim the whole story. That whole story is called the kerygma, uh, the Greek word that means proclamation. So to proclaim the story, not just to, to tell it like you tell another story, but to truly try to proclaim it. That, for, that full story, the kerygma, has four parts. The goodness of creation, sin and its consequences, God's response to sin, and our response to what God has done. And understanding that, that when we hear the whole story, the whole kerygma, that the hope is, we can't make this happen, but the hope is that something would happen inside of us that would bring about some kind of an incredible change about the way that we look at life about the way that we understand life and live our lives. That's, that's the belief. This is, this is something that's happened throughout, throughout history from the time of Jesus onward, is that when people hear the kerygma, the proclamation of the gospel, of what God has done in the person of his, his son Jesus, that something happens inside of them so that, so that they can see more clearly and understand what Paul says when he says to the Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. The, the gospel, the good news, but not just, not just any good news, not, not like the kind of news that you hear and then you wonder what else is going on, but we're talking about life-changing, transformational good news that, that when you hear it, there is something of an explosion that goes on in your heart. That word power has the same root as the word for dynamite. That there's an explosion of God's grace that happens inside of us that that doesn't actually, it doesn't scatter us, but instead it actually brings everything together for us in our lives so that we can suddenly see everything clearly. If you remember on Ash Wednesday, I mentioned there, there are like big questions in life that, that we tend to just forget about or, or we don't answer, or we don't even think about them, right? Why am I here? What's, what's the purpose of my life? Is there a goal for my life? Where am I going? Am I, am I supposed to be on some sort of a trajectory here? And if so, how do I get there? When I hear the fullness of the gospel, suddenly that explosion of God's grace, it makes everything make sense to me so that I see more clearly. It changes everything about my life and I recognize that I'm brought to a place of healing, sometimes physical healing, but more than anything, I'm brought to a place of spiritual healing so that I can find a kind of freedom, a kind of confidence in God that I can't find anywhere else. That's the hope. Last week we, we began talking about the story. We began talking about the goodness of creation, this first part of the story, uh, to, be, to be made, human, man and woman, to be made in the image and likeness of God. We talked about the, what it is to be unique in God's eyes, the only creatures that he makes that are able to represent him on earth. 
And not just able, but meant to represent him on earth, to be living representatives of God as we interact with the rest of creation. This week, we're going to stay in this first part of the kerygma, the goodness of creation, but we're going to look primarily at one verse. So towards the end, we'll look at a few more verses, including the ones that, that I uh, assigned you to read as your homework. But, but for now, to just simply look at one verse, which comes in Genesis chapter 1, verse 16. If you have your Bibles, you can, but you can look at it, but otherwise it's right here in your outline. Genesis chapter 1, verse 16, where it says, God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Of course, the, the greater light to rule the, the, the day is the sun, and the lesser light to rule the night is the moon, of course. And then he, he says, right, and, and he made the stars also. So we want to we look at this. Basically, what I want to do this morning is take some time to just let ourselves look up. You know, one of the benefits that we have uh, living in northern Minnesota is that we, we're not bogged down by city lights, right? So we can, we can actually look up at night, and when it's not cloudy, we can see the stars. And, and yet, I wonder if, if we really let ourselves look at the stars sometimes and just sort of let ourselves be caught in awe and wonder at how incredibly vast the universe is. You know, because you and I, we have an image. Whenever we pray or whenever we talk about God, we have an image of God in our minds. For some of us, you know, we just think God is this imaginary figure. But for those of us who know that God is real, even the image that we have of him, you know, maybe it's, it's this, this old man with a really long beard floating in outer space somewhere, you know, or, or it's something else, whatever it is. But so many times, our image of God, it's just too small. We have to understand that God is... He is truly incomprehensible. And so what I, what I hope uh, we can do this morning is to just let ourselves sort of be caught in this place of awe and wonder at who God is. And to begin that, to just simply ask the question, right? The Bible says he made the stars also and says it almost like an afterthought, right? Because the main point of the verse seems like it's to say, well, he created the two great lights and then the stars also. But to ask the question, well, how many stars? How many stars did God make? So we know this, hopefully. We live in the Milky Way galaxy, and the astronomers tell us that in our galaxy, in our little corner of the universe, there are something like 100 billion stars, which is a huge number that, that I, I can't even fully understand, but, but something like that, 100 billion stars. Our galaxy is a, a tiny fraction of the entire universe, which science tells us is 90 billion light years across. So 90 billion times 5.88 trillion miles. That's the distance that light travels in a year. So when we talk about the whole universe, right, when we look up and look at the stars, we're, we're, we're not even looking at like a pinprick in the universe. So the astronomers tell us that they know something, they know about something like two trillion galaxies in the universe. And each of them, this is a little debated, but each of them has something like a hundred billion stars within them. The number is, is astronomical, literally, it's astronomical. It's 200 sextillion, something, 200 to 600 sextillion stars. So that's 200 with 21 zeros at the end. If you have your outline, it's the number, I, I wrote it down there just so you can get an image of, of how incredibly big this is. How can, we, how can we put an image to this? So this is the best explanation I've, I've, I've heard. So imagine one day you want to go to the beach and you want to build a sandcastle, right? So you got to imagine holding like a tiny little, like one tiny little grain of sand in, your, in the palm of your hand, right? How, how, much, how much smaller it is than, than your palm even. That tiny little grain of sand represents one star. So you want to build a sandcastle where every 
star is represented by a separate grain of sand. In other words, you want to build a sandcastle or a sand block, really, with 200 sextillion grains of sand. How big is it going to be? It's going to be 35 by 35 by 35. 35 miles long, 35 miles wide, and 35 miles high, where every grain of sand represents a different star in the universe. For your reference, the highest mountain on Earth is about five miles high. So we're talking about a huge, huge number, right? And so the Bible is just like, yeah, he made the stars also. <laughs> like, as though it's an afterthought. It's, but he, right, the universe is so big, right? And God makes it all. And, and by the way, these stars, they're not actually grains of sand, right? We know that the stars are, are far bigger than Earth. For example, our sun, right? Our sun, it looks small in the sky. We know that it's 93 million miles away. And yet it can provide heat for the Earth, at least during most of the year. It can provide heat for the Earth, right? It's so much bigger than Earth is. You can fit about a million Earths inside of the sun. But in the grand scheme of things, the sun is a relatively small star. There's another star out there, my favorite one to talk about. It's not even the biggest one. But when they found it at the time, it was the biggest that they, they knew of. And it's called Canis Majoris. So Canis Majoris is a Latin term that means the big dog. So the big dog star, right? You can fit inside this one star, seven quadrillion Earths. What's a quadrillion? Great question. I'm really glad you asked. A quadrillion... So if you were to count from now to a million seconds from now, it would take you about 11 and a half days to count to a million seconds from now. If you were to count from now to a billion seconds from now, it would take you 31 years. If you were to count from now to a trillion seconds from now, it would take you 31,000 years. To count from now to a quadrillion seconds would take you 31 million years. And you can fit seven quadrillion Earths inside of this one star out of 200 sextillion, which a sextillion is a million quadrillions. Right? Like, he made the stars also, right? Like, God is, he's so incredibly vast and so incredibly big, right? Like, like he's so powerful. Now, why, why are we talking about this, right? Like, why is, why is this important? We can, why are we talking about the stars? We're supposed to be talking about God and Jesus. You know, like, what the heck? We're talking about this because the Bible tells us that this is all important to him. If you have your outlines, look at Psalm 147, verse 4. He determines the number of the stars. He gives all of them. He gives to all of them their names. Or Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. You see, we talked about this last week, that in Genesis chapter 1, God is revealed as Elohim, this, this all-powerful, distant creator God who creates the universe. And then in, in Genesis chapter 2, God's name changes. It doesn't actually change, but he's revealed to have another name, which is the Lord God, the God who draws close to his creatures to have a relationship with them, to know them, to not just be the one who creates them, to be the powerful one, but the one who draws near to his creatures. 
That's who this God is. It's not just that God creates everything, but it says here that he knows them all by name. God draws close to his creatures, and his creatures are so much more vast than we really let ourselves understand. And yet, out of everything that he makes, which creature is his favorite? The Bible tells us that it's you and me. And, and not, not just y'all, and not just us. We're limited. When we think about having a favorite, we can think about having one or two favorites. God's not limited in the same way that we're limited. So for him, he truly and sincerely can say to each one of us, one at a time, without, without being false, without pretending, he truly can say to us and look us in the eyes and say to us, you are my favorite. And I know everything about you. I know the things in your life that you're just super proud of. And I delight in those things. And I know the things in your life that you're not super proud of. And I love you in the midst of it. Because I care about you. I've made you for a purpose. Right? It's, it's not just that Right? It's not just that we're his favorites, and it's not just that he loves us and draws close to us, but that he does, in fact, have a purpose and a goal for your life and for mine. This was, this was your homework for the week. If, if you have it handy, you can open up your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 1. If it's, not, if it's not easily accessible to you, that's fine. You can just listen along. But 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, listen, listen to God's plan for your life. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, that through these you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of passion and become partakers of the divine nature. Do you hear this? that his power has granted to us, each of us, all things that pertain to life and godliness. What's God's plan for your life? That you would become godly. Do you understand this? The Lord God who creates everything draws close to his creatures so that his creatures can come up to his level. He has called you to become a partaker of the divine nature, not, not just to be loved by him, but to become like him. This is his goal for your life. This is the plan that he has when he creates the universe. For some reason, his plan is that the human person, each and every one of us, would become like him. Let yourself think about that for a minute. What, what an incredible goal that he has for you. Why on earth would he have that goal for you and for me? Why on earth would he design such an incredible design that we couldn't, we couldn't dream of it if we really had the choice? The answer is love. Love does such things. It's the reason that you exist. 
It's where you're going and it's how you get there. Back to those big questions, right? Why do I exist? I exist. You exist because the God of the universe, and it's a huge universe, the God of the universe has freely chosen you to exist because he wants you to exist and he wants you to know his love. That's why you exist. So that he could share everything that he has with you to make you like himself. That's why you exist. Where, where are you going? Where am I going? You're made to return to him. You're made to return or to go to the very source of love itself. That's like to think of this, right? Like our, our purpose in life is not just to live for 70, 80, 90 years or whatever. And just, you know, then, then we die. No, the purpose of our lives is to become godly. To become like him. How do we get there? By loving. Loving him in return and loving the people around us. Love is the answer to all of these things. This is the goodness of creation. It's who he is. It's who you are to him. It's incredible. This is worth reflecting on. Some questions for us this week as we, as we go forward. First question, just very simply. Have you ever heard that this is God's plan for your life? That he's called you. The Bible tells us this. That he's called you to become like himself. Have you ever heard that? What do you think about it? Just think about that for a minute. Think about it for a week. Talk about it as a family, as a married couple, with your friends, whatever. Have you ever heard this? Second question, have you ever heard about God in this way that you are his favorite creature? That he looks at you individually, uniquely, he looks at you and he says to you, you're my favorite. Have you ever heard that? Because these questions, these things are gonna help pave the way for the next couple of weeks when we move into the second part of the kerygma. Sin and its consequences. So your homework for this week is to go and read Genesis chapter 3. Next week, we're going to go really into detail looking at Genesis 3. So it's, it's going to be very helpful for you to have your Bibles because we're going to go line by line looking at the beginning of what we call the bad news. But for now, just to reflect, to reflect on who you are to God, on who he is, and on his goal, his plan for your life.